You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 58. So before we get into today's uh, overview of the episode, just wanted to recap a few things we have going on in the show. So today, obviously, we've done about 50 millionaire interviews. We've interviewed doctors, teachers, custodians, small business owners, and we've really been able to dive into their stories and hear how they've reached millionaire status and then also guest interviews, how they've been able to, to get to where they are and offer some of the advice that they focus on. So we have some great interviews coming up, including our interview with Robert Kiyosaki and Michael Blank, who focuses on, on apartment building investing, and also next week's show with Jamie Masters. If you haven't heard of her, she runs the podcast Eventual Millionaire, and so we talked to her about that, what that means, and basically it's those that have reached a net worth of a million dollars or more through their business. So she interviews a lot of small business owners and really dives into their businesses and, and how they've been able to really be successful. We talk about how to generate business ideas and also about mentors and coaches and mastermind groups and, and how to get ahead with those type of things. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the show, connect with us. We love hearing from our guests, love hearing from our listeners. We'd love to have any millionaires on. If you leave a review on iTunes, it helps us reach some of these new interviewees and we're able to share their stories and, and connect with each of them. Last week's interview was Qbert. He had an Airbnb and some rentals and he works in IT. So a really great interview with him. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. That's episode 57. And as previously mentioned, we have some exciting interviews coming up. So on today's show, we have Amber. She has a current net worth of $1.2 million. And breakout is a little bit $400,000 in a paid off home, $100,000 in, in just a traditional investment and index funds, and then about $600,000 in retirement funds, 401k and, and enrolled retirement funds from previous companies. Also about 30000 in stock options, a little bit in HSA and education saving account. So we talk with her about their goal to retire early at about the age of 45 with a net worth of $1.5 million, their safe withdrawal rate, how much they plan to live off of, and just a little bit about their plans for retirement. They both work in HR and they have two adopted children and also have no investments in real estate. And so we dive into her allocation and her story and, and how she's strategically taught about how to allocate her net worth. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Amber. Amber, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. So uh, my husband and I both just turned 40, and we are um, located in the southeast, a nice low-cost area. We both are senior individual contributors in training and development, which is an area of human resources. We have two 11-year-old kids. We are currently, our net worth, as you um, previously asked, was one point, is currently $1.2 million. Good stuff. And how is that broken up? So that's broken up. We're, we're pretty simple. We don't get into active investing too much. We're, we're very much like the less we have to do, the better. <laughs> so we have a fully paid off house, which is worth 400 and that was appraised last year. We have about 100 right now in index funds, 30 
in my husband's company stock options. And the rest is either in a current 401k or in, you know, an IRA that was rolled over from previous 401ks. So it's pretty simple allocation. Okay, cool. And, and the, the money that's invested in the market, is that in some index funds or individual stocks or bonds or how is that allocated? Yeah, it's all Vanguard index. And is that total stock, stock market index or? That's, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And has sure that is. always kind of been the allocation with the Vanguard total stock market index? Yeah, that's what we've done for, and we started doing that about eight years ago. And that's always what we've held because it's been performing so well. What did you have before the, the eight years ago? Very little. No, <laughs> we didn't have very little. We didn't have anything except for just our 401k. And then about eight years ago is when we paid off the house and we started looking at, well, you know, what's next? Kind of what's the, that, that, that felt like kind of the, the high school and college, you know, paying off the house. And so it's like, well, let's go to graduate school with our money. And that's kind of when we found um, the FIRE community and, you know, the simple path to wealth and your money in your life. And um, we took that advice for uh, that simple path and getting into index funds. Wow. So let me back up here. You paid off the house eight years ago. So that's in your early 30s. That's right. How did, how did that come about? How did you decide to pay off your house? And how long did it actually take you from when you bought it? From when we bought it, it took us five years. And it and it really started with us wanting to get out of debt. And then once we had kind of gotten out of our debt beside the house, we were like, well, dang, let's just let's go do the house. Um, we have had a lot of experience with family extended family members experiencing homelessness for various reasons. And we just we never wanted to be in a position where that could be a thing for us. And so, you know, we're like, hey, let's get into a position where as long as we can pay the taxes and keep up the house, we're good. Wow. So you bought this house at 27, you pay it off at 32. And then in mm-hmm. your words, you kind of went to graduate school with money and, and started getting really aggressive with 401k and investing and everything else. Is that correct? That's right. Have you always invested in the 401k or did it kind of just really start to pick up once you hit your 30s? So we've always invested, though not super aggressively. Both of our, um, my husband's dad and my dad were both um, accountants and auditors. And so, of course, you know, throughout my whole childhood, that, that was the thing is you always do your 401k. But we weren't doing any more than kind of, you know, the, the 6, 8, 10%. We just happened to have very, you know, we did some career hacking, had some really high paying jobs. And so that equaled a fairly good amount. But up until then, we really didn't do much. We really didn't do anything else besides that, except my company, you know, my husband's company has the stock options and we we kind of hoarded those. So just going back here, you've got the 400 in home equity, you've got the 100,000 in in index funds, and then that leaves, what, about $600,000 in retirement accounts? That's right. So how, how were you able to accumulate so much? Did you guys just start maxing it out right away? Yeah, we did. We um, completely front-loaded max, maxing it out uh, ever since we started. And um, luckily, the, uh, the institutions that we have our accounts with have um, really high-performing funds, which is, which is really nice. Additionally, um, 
our both of our companies do a fairly our our current companies that we've been with for for a while have pretty high matches. My husband's company does ten percent match, which is pretty amazing, um, and mine does eight percent, which is definitely above average. And that's a hundred percent of eight percent of your base. Is that, that is that right? That's right. Yeah. Wow, ten percent is pretty incredible. It is, especially if you can get into a role that's high paying. Yeah. And so that 401k money, is that Roth or traditional or both? It's traditional. We, I mean, and we um, had about four years of work that we were eligible for Roth, but then we um, kind of went over the, went over the income after that. So the rest of that's an IRA. Yeah. And, and so those investments, you said they have some good, you know, so, some good fund options. So it sounds like it's not just index funds. Do you have some of that invested in more actively managed mutual funds? Not the. There's a small portion that's in um, some international funds, and another small portion that's in a targeted fund. That's like um, retirement date target fund. But other than that, it's it's mostly index, and um, there's a small part that's in bond, the bond market as well. Just so, for just for a small bit of you know um, diversity, but that's about it. Okay, gotcha. So you mentioned the uh, the the retirement funds. What's your opinion on those? And and do you see your portfolio? You have a lot in the market, right? Between the, yeah. the index funds and and your four hundred one k is about seven hundred thousand, right? Pretty soon you may have a million bucks in the market. So do you anticipate allocating more as a percentage of your portfolio to bonds in the future or kind of remaining aggressive with the index and mutual funds? Well, I'd like to, we're, we're definitely both um, considering retiring early. So I'd like to step out of needing to work in about three years and my husband in about six. So when I step out, um, we'll up the bond allocation by about 10%. And then um, every year until he um, until he retires, we'll up it a little bit um, as well. And so our our target allocation is going to be um, about a 70, 30, 70 stock and 30 bond. And that's, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're allowing ourselves to remain flexible. So if we see something along the way that's different, we'll we'll change our opinion on that. But that's our opinion right now. Awesome. And then what about domestic versus international? I know enough to know that I don't know enough about <laughs> about those areas to be able to throw my weight into that. Um, and I'm not a person who wants to go get an advisor. It's an area of interest for me, as is real estate. So I'd like to learn more about that before we kind of throw money. But um because my husband does a lot of international work and can, and can kind of see some value in some of the emerging markets, it's an area that we want to explore, but we're not right now going to throw anything in there. Understandable. So before the call, we talked about this, but just for our listeners, what do you what do you guys do for work? Yeah, so we're both in training and development, um, and that's an area of human resources. It's basically, you know, how do you get people in a company to do the best work they can do? How can we teach them to do their jobs so that they feel successful? And we're both we're both at the director level for those jobs. Okay, so you guys live. Just kind of changing gears here. You live in a, in a lower cost of area, right? You we have do, higher yeah. incomes, mm-hmm. two kids. 
maybe talk about how that's been influential on you being able to build up your savings and build up your portfolio, being able to live in this lower cost of, of market. Oh, yeah. You know, looking at where we live and kind of doing some career hacking, both of those have been absolutely critical because, I mean, if you look at the area of human resources that we're in, they, you know, HR training generally across the country doesn't actually pay that much. But what we were able to do is in the uh, state that we live in, um, there's a lot of pharma, pharmaceutical, a lot of healthcare, and a lot of clinical trials work, which is a very, very high paying industry. And so we both really targeted that industry um, for where we wanted to work. Combine that with a state that has an extremely low cost of living, and that was that was the magic formula for us. So we can make a really high income um, and not spend a lot on you know the big the big things like housing and you know the car and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, those are kind of the first th- the two buckets that go right: housing and transportation. That's right. So education-wise for your guys' career, maybe talk about the path to get to a director of HR and, and to build that up. Did you did you guys get master's degrees? Did you go do undergrad? Maybe talk a little bit yeah. about your career path. Well, you know, what's funny is the, the area of uh, learning and development or training and development, there's not um, one specific path. I think I am one of the weird people who always knew that's what they wanted to do. But most people come at it from all sorts of areas. So my husband actually has um, two undergrad degrees, one in computer science and one in um, computer engineering. And so he started out as a technical trainer and got in it that way. And then I have an undergrad in human resource management. And then I went back for my master's in learning and development. So I took, I took the, the more straight and narrow knowing that's what I wanted to do. And then, um, you know, just kind of working HR jobs, getting into that specific industry, whereas he kind of went around the, the roundabout way and doing a lot of technical training for um, for technical companies and then kind of making that switch to healthcare. Awesome. Yeah. So, so going back to the to the allocation piece, do you guys have HSAs or education saving accounts for your children? Yeah, we sure do. We do have the um, the state five twenty nine for them. And and I'm just kind of curious, Dave Ramsey always preaches, you know, going to cheaper state schools. Do you talk to your kids about college and expenses and how do you teach them about money? Oh my gosh, for sure. So, <laughs> so uh, we are very fortunate. We live in um, a state that has a number of options for us, both state and private that are fairly reasonable. We do also have some really high cost ones, but basically what we're, what we're, what we've already had the conversation, you know, we've already had the conversation that they will have a certain amount of money. Like we're going to save to a certain level and that level will get them four years of tuition and books at a state school. I went to a state school for graduate school. My husband went to the same one for undergrad. So we know that that's going to be a really good education for them, no matter what they choose. Anything beyond that, if they want to go private, if they want to live on campus, um, we've already talked to them about different options that they could do to get there. Um, our number one goal is to have them finish their undergrad with zero debt, um, because that can be just so crushing and start them behind the eight ball. 
but we do want them to have a little bit of skin in the game. You know what I mean? Like we want them to really feel like they're earning their way. They're, you know, they're, they're paying some of it. So they'll be paying, you know, anything additional that they want to do if they want to do a study abroad, which I hope that they do. If they want to live on campus, if they want to, you know, do extra labs or whatever, that's what they'll be paying for. So we've already started having those conversations because I'll be having two in at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've got to ask just because both of us are CPAs, how, how did how did it work out that two children of CPAs found each other and also entered the HR industry together? <laughs> so we have actually been together since high school when his family moved into my family's neighborhood and our dad's who were the CPAs got to be friends. <laughs> I knew there had to be a story. <laughs> no, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's cool though. So uh, you shared with us before, before we started that while you were paying, I guess, you know, if you do the, do the math, right, I guess this mm-hmm. would have been while you were trying to aggressively pay off your house that, that you actually adopted uh, your two children. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that story and kind of the, the cost and the cash flow and kind of what what took place for you all to get to that point? Sure. So um, we actually adopted internationally. Um, we adopted both of our children from Guatemala and we adopted them at the same time. And I think most people will do one at a time, but the re the reason for us doing both is we knew we wanted two children. Um, we knew going international, we wanted two children in the house who would look like each other, right? We didn't want them to feel very different and international adoption programs open and close all the time. So if we adopted one, it was likely that that program would close and we wouldn't have another opportunity. So we took that risk. We did them both at the same time. Now, the the benefit of that international adoption is it tends to go faster than a domestic adoption. So that's how we took that route. However, it is much more expensive. Um, so imagine if you had by a biological child, went through the entire pregnancy, delivery, and then the postpartum, all of that without insurance. That's about how much it costs. Um, just between adoption fees, um, agency fees, lawyer fees, foster care fees, and then all of the governmental paperwork. Like we had to do FBI background checks. We had to do SBI background checks and all of that. So it was extremely expensive, but we cash flowed it because we, again, you know, we're, we're very debt averse. So basically, so during that time, I worked three jobs. I had my kind of my W2 job. And then I also taught a couple of classes at my undergrad university. And I also did some consulting work. And then my husband during that time worked two jobs, his W2 job, and then he also taught a university class. So with all of that together, we were still able to continue aggressively paying on the house and also cash flow the adoption. Wow. That's a really cool story. So do your your neighbors and friends and maybe coworkers and family know that you have a paid for house and that you're millionaires and everything? <laughs> Our family knows that we have a paid off house and they know that we want to retire early. We haven't given them specifics. The only really person who has specifics is our dads because they're CPAs and they're super nerds and they want to know. 
our neighbors know that we have a paid off house because the the person that we have as our had as our mortgage agent came and put a big sign in our yard, which I was a little upset with. But um, so they know that, but we really don't share that outside of that kind of little group. What did the sign say? <laughs> it just said, you know, congratulations on your paid off mortgage. And so, of course, like all of our neighbors were like, what the hell is this? Like, what did you do? <laughs> so, it, you know, in some ways that was a little embarrassing. And and in some ways it was a really good conversation opener about, you know, aggressively paying and that you don't necessarily have to have debt if you don't want to. You know, some people use this as a lever, you know, because of our upbringing and what we've seen in our family. Like, that's just not what we wanted. Yeah, I can't decide if I'd like that or if I'd be like running out of my underwear on the first thing in the morning, like, get that sun out of my yard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, again, good conversation. Sorry, we have really good neighbors, so it it, it was fine. But I think I turned like 14 shades of red when I rolled up and (laughs) saw that in the yard. (laughs) So let's talk about you guys kind of have the goal to retire early, right? And and you were telling us before the goal or before the podcast, it was in, you know, give or take three to five years, three to seven years for for including your husband as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk about how you got to, I don't know what your number is, but maybe talk about how you got to that number. And when you said, Hey, I think, you know, that's enough and we'll spend X amount a year and and this is when we're going to do it. Right. So right after, and and this was right after we paid off the house, as you said, you know, we kind of wanted to go to graduate school with our money. But at the same time, I was like, well, but what's that for? You know, I don't like to ever run away from something. I want to run towards something. So what are we running towards with this savings? And my husband and I sat down, I was just like, you know, let's, let's take a look. Like, how do we want our lives to look? What do we want our lives to be like, if we could just do anything we wanted. I loved it because you don't get to dream like that very often. You know what I mean? Like, especially with two kids running around and all the stuff that goes with them, you don't just get to sit down and be like, what is the thing that I want? So we did that. And what we came up with is, you know, we're both, we're both very active volunteers. We do love to teach. We're both very much educators at heart. We're on the board of a couple of charities that we want to be more involved with. We love, you know, gardening. We have tons of hobbies. We love to travel. And I was like, but we don't get to do that super often. You know, we both have these jobs. They're very demanding. They are definitely not 40 hour a week jobs. They're more like 50, 60 hour a week jobs. And I was like, but what if we didn't have to go do that all the time? And my husband works from home. And that's kind of how we came up with that staggered plan where we said, you know, if I don't have to travel anymore and I don't have to be at an office and he can just work from anywhere, wouldn't it be great when the kids are in high school, if we could just go to the Bahamas for a month and you can work at your, you know, Airbnb living room office in the Bahamas. And then after work, we go swimming and snorkeling. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so that's kind of what we did as we looked at you know, what was the, what was the current spending? What did we think that should look like when I leave work? And then when he leaves work, and that's kind of how we came up with the number. But most of that was like, what do we want our lives to be? What would do we want our normal day to day to be when, if we didn't have to work? So that's really how we came up with that number. Um, and of course, wanting to pad that a bit because of, you know, unexpected things like what if somebody gets sick or, and we've we've definitely had that in our family where somebody gets something catastrophic. So we wanted to have some cushion as well. 
Sure. So I'm going to push you on those numbers a little. You're at 1.2. Mm-hmm. I assume it's 1.5 or 1.6 if you're if you're estimating three or four years out. And and maybe what do you guys spend annually? Right. So we spend about um, 46 annually, and I think that we want to up that a couple as we get closer. But really, we're looking at that without the house, taking the house out of it. We'd like to have about 1.4, 1.5. So we may reach that sooner or later, depending on what happens. And we do intend to downsize our house. We do intend to sell the house and downsize once the kids hit college age. So we'll be able to put a little more cash in. So, yeah. So at 1.5, if, if you use the 4% rule, that, that gives you about 60000 a year. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that'll be a cushion. And the other thing that we want to do with uh, we want to take 100 of whatever we have and we want to set up some scholarships. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Good for you guys. As you estimate that that out, what's been your planned withdrawal rate? How many years do you anticipate it going? <laughs> How many years do we anticipate that withdrawal? So on our on the paper, <laughs> on the paper that looks like about 40. But depending on the day you catch us, if we're depending on the day you catch us, that's shorter or longer just depending on what kind of day it is. But yeah, we've, we've estimated, um, between 40 and 45 and yeah. So we'll, you know, and again, you know, the key to all of this for us is remaining flexible. And if we feel like that needs to be longer or shorter, we'll do that. So I want to ask you a listener question here. This is from Paul. He writes, how do you think about inflation? Are you convinced it'll be covered or do you, do you worry about that or think about that in retirement? Yeah, we think about that. And actually, my dad, you know, when he found out this was our plan, that's the thing that he was really worried about because he lived through all that hyperinflation, you know, during the during the late 70s. And so he was worried about that for us. But in his research, and, and he's kind of our advisor in this area, in our research, the inflation, the hyperinflation that the U.S. has experienced in the past has not been super long lived. And because it's not super long lived, it's a situation where we feel like we could be flexible, where we could say, okay, you know what, hyperinflation, we're going to go down and only do like 3% this year or 3% for the next few years. And, you know, and, and having no debt and having our house paid off, that is a fairly low risk situation for us. Do you ever worry that that maybe there's another 2008 or another big crash and, and you're at one five and, and then pretty soon that goes to seven or 800 and, and maybe mm-hmm. you have to adjust your lifestyle a little bit. No, I'm pretty sure we're going to see that at some point. I think that, you know, we should plan that that is in fact going to happen. And I don't worry about adjusting our spending because most uh, other than healthcare, most of our spending is fairly low. Um, we are, live a very, other than the actual square footage of our house, we live a very minimal lifestyle and we don't have to do the things that we're planning to do. That If that takes us down to, you know, we're cooking every day at home and we go out and putter in the garden and we take hikes and that's our life, we're totally fine with that. So as long as we can pay for healthcare, we're good. And at any time, you know, the both of us, because of our background in education, it's not super difficult to keep a toe in the water. So we could go back to work if needed. Sure. Yeah. Kind of have a little safety net there. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to dive into some rapid fire uh, millionaire questions with you. All right. So the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? Ever purchased? I think like $50 for some work pants. My favorite jeans were $10. (laughs) Nice. Most expensive shoes? You know, again, I'm not, I'm not a shoe girl. I'm really not. So maybe like 60 for some really swanky going out shoes. <laughs> okay. What about car? Most expensive car? God, I'm so boring. We're just, <laughs> we're not car people. I think the most expensive one is the one that we just bought, which is a five-year-old um, Subaru Forester. And I think we ended up doing 18 on that. Okay, most expensive meal out that you've paid for. That I've paid for that wasn't expensed? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, those company ones get a lot of control, right? Right. Um, probably for our 10-year anniversary, we went to a really nice resort in the mountains in the state where we live. And I think that was about 150 for the two of us, including including a good bit of wine. Okay. Uh, what item or items or experiences are worth mm-hmm. spending more money on to you? Oh my gosh, travel for sure. So in college, I cash flowed um, a semester abroad, and that was hands down the best experience I could have ever asked for. And so I'm really hoping that my children um, want to do the same. And that was fairly expensive in undergrad. Um, for me, that was about 15000 for the semester. So, you know, being 19, that was pretty expensive. Sure. But it was so, so worth it. Yeah. So speaking of uh, school, what was your high school and college GPA? Oh, I was the worst high school student. And it's pretty bad given that I'm an educator. I think my high school was like a 2.4. And then in college, I started doing stuff that I was actually interested in. So I think it came up to like a 3. And then in grad school, I actually was like, oh, I need to know this. This is interesting. And I graduated graduate school with a 4.0. Hey, there you go. Two, three, four. That's right. Haven't you seen that picture online where, where the license plate of a Lamborghini driving around says like 2.0 GPA? Oh, yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, except for the first year out of school, it doesn't matter at all. Okay, and then uh, last question, as much as you're comfortable, what's been the range of income through your working life, household income? So this is where, you know, where that career hacking really comes into play. So my first job in HR out of my undergrad was 19000 a year. And, and I think within, I'm just doing the math, within six years, I was at 100000 just by getting my grad degree and getting into the right industry, doing the same work. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy. So how come you haven't delved into real estate at all? I know a lot of early retirees kind of try to use cash flow from real estate to, to get there, and you haven't. Is there any reason or particular reason why you haven't? Because I am super lazy. Like, <laughs> I don't, I'm serious. Like, we have so many other things that we would rather do. You know, that takes a lot of learning. You need to learn a lot. And the folks who do that, gosh, I, I admire them so much. But it takes a lot of investment, not just of money, but of your time and of your energy. 
that's just not a place where we're willing to go. I don't necessarily want to be woken up at two o'clock in the morning with somebody's toilet. I supervise enough people at work. I don't need to supervise, you know, tenants and I don't need to supervise a property manager. I'm good. We're good. <laughs> so honestly, it's just where do we, you know, and, and kind of what they say in your money or your life is that you can spend money or you can spend life energy. And we just know where we want to spend our life energy and it's not being landlords. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's great to, to kind of show the two per- perspectives. You'll have some people who say, hey, I just love real estate. I just want to do it. And other people say, hey, you know what? I don't want to bother with it. I'll have my money in the market and, and we'll just go from there. Mm-hmm. Now, we would consider... Um, we do have some friends who are in real estate, do very well. They're 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 very gifted with it, and we have been talking about the possibility of being um, partners with them in a property, to where you know we would do a lot of the financial backing and they would do, you know, most to all of the management. So that's something that we would consider, but we'd really have to, you know, we'd have to look at what is that allocation of energy look like not just not just the funds yeah totally what are what are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way in your journey I think the biggest one um, I mean you know we were talking and we were raised by you know we were raised by CPA so there hasn't been a lot of you know financial big mistakes but I think one of the one of the big uh, pitfalls that I fell into is after we went through this big adoption process, and which was very, very difficult, um, very emotionally taxing. When we finally brought our children home, you know, we went from having no children to having two one-year-olds. And that was extremely difficult, um, just from a life perspective and for me from an emotional perspective. Plus, the job I had at the time did not give me any leave. I had no leave. And so there was a lot of so I had a hard time coping. And what I did is I ended up turning to um, shopping as a coping mechanism. So within about six months, I had racked up about $20,000. And that was just in six months, right? So that and then I thought, what there was a day that I was just like, what are you doing? This is not what you need to be doing. This is against, you know, all of your values. So I um, was able to get some some counseling, get some help, and really turn that around in another six months. So I got in and I got out. But you know that's that's one thing that I try to any anybody that I know who's adopting, um, I really want to be open with them and say, hey, it's going to be super difficult, and it's going to be really tempting to turn to something else to cope. But there's other ways to do that. So I'd say for me, that's the biggest mistake that I made is not asking for help when I needed it. What did you end up buying during that six months? Oh, my gosh. Like it was just a lot of it was under the guise of or I talked myself into like the kids need it. And so, you know, you know, the baby industry is just ridiculous. I've got a seven month old. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So you, you know, so it was all, you know, equipment and toys and education and clothing and, um, for them thinking it was for them. They don't need that. They don't need all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, some of it was, you know, Oh, I need to fly in our grandparents to see the kids. No, I don't. They can drive like, (laughs) I really didn't need to do that stuff. 
but I convinced myself that it was for the kids. So, um, but, but in the end it really was just a coping mechanism. Yeah. Did you end up ever hiring like outside help to help with your children when you adopted them or when they were younger? Um, I actually, so I outside help, I got a counselor that was incredibly helpful. (laughs) The other thing was we did hire, um, a, a mother's helper. And so it was just like a high school student who would come in and help do, um, like I didn't, you know, with the, with adoption, one of the big things is you really have to bond with the child. And so you can't have somebody watch the child. Like you really need that bonding time. Mm-hmm. And so what the, what I had a mother's helper do is, um, a, three times a week, that person would come in and they would just do laundry or they would do, um, meal prep. And like, obviously my husband was fantastic. He's a great dad, like did everything he could, but still, you know, he still had a job and he still had to bond with the children too. So it was like, Hey, can you vacuum? Can you change the sheets on the bed? Can you, you know, just all of the stuff that takes your time at home. Um, that's what that person did. And it was incredibly helpful. Wow. So what, what would your advice be to somebody who's just starting out or is kind of just barely beginning their journey on, on a path to financial freedom or early retirement? Yeah. So there's two really big things that I would say is figure out and get really clear on what are your values? What are those things in life that um, are really, really important to you? And make sure that your spending reflects what those values are. So anytime, you know, your time and your money need to be spent the majority on what those values are. And I think um, that's, you know, that's where I started to falter. So I would say that. And then the other thing is to avoid lifestyle inflation. And it's super easy to do, especially when you have kids and everybody else is sending them to 20 million activities. So if they're, if they're a young family, that's what I would say too. But in general, just avoiding that lifestyle inflation and, and looking at, do I really need this? Is it a need or is it a want? If it's a want, let's really be clear about the things that we'll spend our money on. Those are the two biggies. Awesome. Amber with the net worth of 1.2 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.